I know it's hard. Oh, this looks so much better. You don't have to sit right in the front if you don't want to, but if you could just come in and pretend we're all, wait, we're not pretending. We are family. We are family. Let's be family. This is better. Awesome. Thanks for being so willing to do that. I know we get, you know, sort of married to our seats like they have our name on them or something, but they don't. <laughs> you want to say something about that? way the Holy Spirit doesn't have to lift you up. Oh, right? <laughs> it's harder for him to get over there. No, no. He's a way maker. He could reach you over there, but let's keep... There you go. Why don't you, you know, look to your left and your right, say... You look a lot like Jesus today. <laughs> oh, you guys didn't want to do that? Turn to your neighbor and say, you look a lot like Jesus today. And you're becoming more like Jesus today. Amen? All right. Well, we're starting a new series today. Um, we finished up uh, two weeks ago our series on the coming of the Son of Man in the book of Revelation. Did you guys like going through the book of Revelation? I sure did. Um, I feel like this uh, next series is very, very related, Um, but I I, I love the book of Revelation. I I really enjoyed going through it, and I wish Jim was here. He did such a good job last week um, sharing the word, Um, so make sure to thank him and tell him um, when you see him next. But uh, the title of our new series is First Love. Um, And so we're going to be diving into um, a different book of the Bible. We'll talk about it. But, you know, the cultural message of our day seems to be, you know, the more money, the more power, the more pleasure, you know, sex, drugs, rock and roll, what what have you, you have, the more fulfilled you're going to be the happier you're going to be, the better life will be, right? That's kind of been the, the cultural ethos for, for many, many, many decades, in fact. And I'm not going to tell you that there isn't some enjoyment or, or some benefit at times to money or power or the pleasures of this life. Those are all real things. It would be a lie for me to sit here and tell you, oh, you know, there's no pleasure in any of that. That would be, that would be, that would be disingenuous of me, um, there can, be menif- there can be pleasure and benefit from all those things, but the, what's broken, I'm loving the sun shining in here today, by the way, what's broken about the messaging we live in day and night is that if you get these things and get them in greater measure, you'll really make it. You'll be satisfied. And really specifically, I mean, we're all adults here, so I could say it, But in terms of sexual intimacy and pleasures, it's sold as the grandest thing in all of life. If you get that and more of that, you will be the most happy, fulfilled person in the world. And that's where it is a lie. That messaging is a lie. And I'm not just saying because God says, find people who've gone after these things with their heart and soul and ask them, was it everything it was sold to you? Are you completely satisfied? There's nothing you wish in the world. And they would all say, no. I guarantee if they were being honest, they would sit in front of you and say, it wasn't everything I was told. I achieved all the money, all the power, all the fame. I had all the, the men or women I wanted. But at the end of the day, it was not enough. 
that would be their testimony if they were honest. And there's a reason for that. We're made for God. And nothing else will satisfy us. The thing we long for isn't more money, more power, more sex. It's him. When we find him and find him in greater measure, we are satisfied. That, that's what we're made for. The richest joys, the most unspeakable peace and satisfaction that is lasting can only be found in him. And specifically, in his great love. Um, so today may be a simple message. It may be a, a reset or a reminder for some, or it may set for some of you a new vision for your life. Because to quote the f- phrase, the verse we'll be looking at today, his love is better than wine. So as we dive into uh, the word today, we just invite you to pray with me. Father, we thank you today for your word. We ask for a spirit of wisdom and revelation. And God, today we ask that you would grant us the power of the Holy Spirit to grasp what we could not grasp in our own power and strength. That we would grasp what is the width and the length and the height and the depth of your love. That we would know that which is unknowable to our natural mind but is possible by the Holy Spirit. I pray for every person, God, not just today, but in the journey of life, would be empowered by the Holy Spirit to know you and to know the vastness of your love, to be fully and freely and completely satisfied in you and in you alone. We pray in Jesus' name. If you agree, you can say amen. So first love is the name of our series. What is first love? Now, I borrowed that phrase from Revelation 2, which we read in our last series, where Jesus is speaking to his people, the church in Ephesus. And he says to them, you've got this, you work hard, you love truth, all these things, but you've forsaken your first love. You've turned away from your first love. So I borrowed the phrase from there. But many times what what happens when we see that message, when we hear those words, you've turned away because he says, return to the things you did at first. It becomes, well, you need to get it right, pull up your bootstraps, do the right things, and love God again. But I want to reframe that. I want to reframe that in the right way because first love, the truest love, the purest form of love, the first initiation of love is God. First love is God. He is love. He loved first. In the beginning was God, and he, you exist because he loved. And God created mankind out of this overflow of his desire to share himself, which is the essence of love. And so we were created specifically with the purpose to be recipients and responders to a God who is love. It's why we breathe. It's why all of creation was created. A canvas and a palette for us and God to know and enjoy one another. Did you know it? That's it. First love is God. It starts with him because it is him. So we're going to be going through this series in a book that you may or may not be very familiar with, the Song of Songs or the Song of Solomon. Um, And God calls it the Song of All Songs. So let's look at it. Now, um, we'll talk about... Uh, We won't be going through it verse by verse, 
Um, we'll be really doing just themes and highlights of the book, but I want you to understand how we're interpreting it as we engage it. Um, you know, but I want to tell you the why first. Um, and again, some people have some familiarity, some have an opinion about the Song of Songs. I just want, we want to have a common understanding, but I want to tell you why. In the, in the generation we live, some would say it's the most emotionally wounded and the most sexually broken. In the midst of this current day and age, I believe God wants to raise up the message of his love as the standard. The one thing that can bring healing to the wounded, transformation to the broken, and really the truest identity for any human soul is found in the love of God. And, and the Song of Songs is really a song about that. It's a song about the love of God for you. The song of God's love for all humanity, really, but also the song of our response to him. So there are two common interpretations of the Song of Solomon or the Song of Songs, and I'm mostly going to call it a Song of Songs, so just invite you to grab that one with me. Um, and they're both right. There's actually three, some would say, but two major ones where people either usually fall to one or the other. And the truth is they're both relevant. Um, if you just read the Song of Songs at face value, it's a love story between a man and a woman. Specifically, you could say it's the writer is Solomon, King Solomon, the wisest man that ever lived, and the Shulamite woman who he falls in love with and marries throughout the song. But it's all poetic. And that's the natural interpretation is that it's a, a celebration of married love. Is that something God would honor and want in his inspired word? Yes. Should we see it as that and receive it that way in our, our, our lives and those who are married? Yes. Um, it's all those things. The other interpretation is the spiritual interpretation, which brings a symbolic interpretation to the song in a way that emphasizes instead of the, the man and the woman or the lover and the beloved, we have God and the believer. God being the lover and us being the beloved. Um, and to emphasize and illustrate the relationship God has with his people and the relationship we get to walk with in him as our bridegroom king. And the truth is this interpretation has been the most common and most written about through all the centuries of the church, in case you didn't know. Um, I heard uh, Mike Bickle say, actually, there's the majority of, of commentaries for, for any book of the Bible. This is, the Song of Songs may have more than any other book, meaning more than Psalms, more than Isaiah, more than the Gospel of John. Because this book, the, the Lord apparently has highlighted so many throughout the ages as really important. Um, and so uh, just know that though it may seem obscure to you or maybe mysterious, it's something the Lord has always wanted to keep alive to his people. And I believe if you open your heart, the Lord is going to bring your spirit alive to this reality as well. Um, and just to make a case for the, the why, you know, um, 2 Timothy 3.16, you may be familiar with, says that all scripture is, is powerful and, and spirit-breathed for edification, instruction, and that at the end of the day, it all leads to Jesus. Well, Song of Songs is that too. <laughs> In case you, you, you didn't know. It, it, so it, it would not be possible 
that the Spirit would inspire a book in the Bible that wouldn't be profitable to our relationship with Jesus. It does benefit our relationship with Jesus. So let's jump in. We're going to look at two verses today. (laughs) Uh, And there's a lot in these two verses. Again, we're not going to do verse by verse, and it's going to be mostly thematic. But the first verse, much like Revelation, makes a statement about what we are reading. Song of Songs, chapter 1, verse 1 says, the Song of Songs, which is Solomon's. That's it. Um, And again, why, why would... Why would we study this song? Why would we, we dive into this bit of scripture? This is why. The song of songs, meaning it's like the song above every other song, if you will. Like when we say Jesus is Lord of lords, because he's the Lord over them all. When we say he's the king of kings, he's the king over them all. This is the Holy Spirit's description that this is the song above all other songs. Or the song by which all other songs derive their best meaning. And it would make sense that it's a love song because throughout the centuries of human history, there, nothing has fueled song more than love. You know that, right? Whether it's country or classical or hip-hop or hard rock, the songs we love to sing are about love. This is the song above every other song, and it was written by one who's said to be, by God himself, one of the wisest men that ever lived, Solomon. So there's great wisdom in this song, which is the song above every other song. I don't know about you. That makes me want to know a little bit more. The song of all songs, which is Solomon's. There's great wisdom to us to to get into this. So that's verse 1. And verse 2 then. Again, taking a symbolic, allegorical approach to, to the song knowing that there are two characters. Now, most of your, your Bibles will identify. It doesn't actually say in the Scripture who's speaking. Um, so the interpreters have to try to infer from gender and inflection of the original text who is speaking. Um, but there are generally three characters in, throughout the song. There's uh, the lover, which to us represents Jesus, their beloved, which represents us, and then there's the chorus, or the daughters of Jerusalem, which are kind of bystanders or narrators to the story. Um, So this begins, after saying it's the Song of Songs, which is Solomon's, with what we believe is the declaration of the beloved, us, our voice. And it says this in Song of Songs, chapter 1, verse 2, Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, for your love is better than wine. And I said that in my intro on purpose. Again, this being a grand love song between us and God, we want to, as we look at it symbolically, allegorically, we want to take out from it, remove from it, if you will, the romantic or physical, sensual pieces of it. Because those are in there because it is a love story about a man and a woman who, who are to be married. But so when we talk about a kiss or a caress, what does that mean for us in relationship to God? It's not sensual, okay? So then we have to ask the question, if God is highlighting to, to hear this, to learn this, to know this as our song and our relationship with God, then what does it mean when it talks about God coming and kissing us with the kisses of his mouth? Well, what is a kiss? It's an expression of love. It's an expression of affection. And what comes from God's mouth is his word, so the rabbis of old would pray it this way. God, let God kiss me with the kisses of his word. 
and that God's word would be the expression of his love to our heart, to our life, to our mind. And this being the beloved's declaration can be our prayer, should be our prayer. When we understand that God is drawing us into first love, it should be our prayer, Lord, would you touch me with your love and affection through your word? Does that make sense? It's not that hard, is it? Come and kiss me with the kisses of your word. That changes our perspective, though, when you open up the Bible and you're asking God to show you his emotion for you. When you open up the word of God and you're, you're expecting not just information, but an encounter with one who loves you more than any other. That changes everything. But it's what we're meant to be. It's how we're meant to respond to him. Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, or Lord, kiss me with the kisses of your word, or if kiss makes you uncomfortable, show me your love and affection in your word. We can all grab onto that, right? You don't have to be like, that's weird, I'm a dude, Jesus is a dude, you know. <laughs> Take it where you can grasp onto it and make it real, because it really is important. This grand love song between God and us begins with this cry, Lord, touch me with your love. Why? For your love is better than wine. See, it's this cry and this prayer of desire from the heart of the, the beloved, or we'll say from the heart of the believer. God, touch my heart with the love you have for me because your love is better. Your love is better then wine, what does wine then represent? The pleasures of this life, the pleasures of this world, all the things, again, I was mentioning in our cultural narrative, in our, in our world today, the things we're told to seek after that will satisfy but do not. That's the wine of this world. God, your love is better than all the things this world has to offer me. And even God's love supersedes and satisfies beyond legitimate pleasure. It's not wrong, biblically speaking, to drink and enjoy wine. Now, I'm not going to have that discussion with you or other denominations. It just is. It's legitimate. Let's change it. It's not wrong to have material possessions. It's not. It's not wrong to have money. It's not more godly to be poor and experience no pleasure in your, this life. You know who created pleasure? God. But the pleasures of this life and this world will never compare or satisfy his love is greater. His love is better. His love is sustaining. His love is better than wine. Does that make sense? That is the thing that will truly delight us. And it's better than any other thing. And so from God's mouth come God's words to express his love for us. And it could be truly said that every word that proceeds from his mouth is motivated by his love for you and me. Every word is an expression of his love. We may not always understand it that way, but it is. Again, it's why we ask and we need God to help us to see and understand the great love he has for us. This grand song, the song of all songs, is God showing and expressing the emotions of his love for us. And, you know, again, I'm, I'm going to talk a lot about Mike Bickles. As much as this has been informed by his teaching. And, and he said this. I actually took this challenge years ago. A challenge to you. If, if this is new to you, 
Like, or if you're like, I really need this. I really want this. God, help me see this. He, would, he makes a challenge. He says, begin to read the whole Bible and read it through the lens of God. Show me your emotion. Show me your love. And then highlight, circle, note every place where you see the emotion and the love of God. Again, I, told, I, I, I literally did this. I had a Bible that I marked up specifically it, it, through all of it. I went through the whole thing. And, like, and every day opening it, Lord, kiss me with the kisses of your word. Show me your love, show me your heart, and I saw so much more than I'd ever seen before just by putting on that lens. Lord, kiss me with the kiss of your Holy Spirit, help me. So if you've never done that, or this is new territory, you just feel even in your heart right now a hunger, I would encourage you to do that. You don't have to read the whole Bible. Start somewhere, start anywhere. Start where you're already reading. Well, I'm reading in Acts, great. You know, I'm reading in the book of John, good. Just put on the lenses. Lord, show me your heart, show me your emotion, and study God's heart. Study his emotions, because as you do, your heart will come alive. We cannot love God if we don't first see his love. That's why the first line of the song is, Lord, touch my heart with the reality of your love for me. Before I can tell you I love you, before I can respond in genuine love, I have to see, I have to know, I have to understand the love you have for me. That's the first love. And you'll see throughout this book, that he loves you, he delights in you, and he wants to move you and touch you in real ways so that your response will be, Lord, I love you too, and I want to love you with all of I am, and so that even the cry of our heart would be, your love is better, your love is better than any other thing. There's a great phrase um, in the 1600s, the Church of England and the Church of Scotland came together trying to build unity in the faith, if you will, and they uh, constructed what's called, and still used in many churches today, called the Westminster Catechism. And it has this phrase in there that you may have heard, that the chief end of man, meaning mankind, people, is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. This is why we were made. The chief end of our existence is to glorify and enjoy him forever. Do you know how you learn to glorify him and enjoy him forever? When you understand that he enjoys you forever. When you know that he loved you first. It's the most natural response to glorify him and to enjoy him. And this changes everything. I mean, I know a lot of Christians who, who, who wouldn't, could not confidently say, I enjoy God. And you know what that's a diagnosis for right there? They haven't yet experienced or had a revelation of how much God loves them, how much God delights in them. Um, but this is a reality that God is, is tried and is continuing by the Holy Spirit. And even in this generation, as, as I said before, in the most emotionally broken, the most sexually broken generation, that God would raise up a people, his people who are confident in love, who carry the healing balm for, for a broken generation. So I want to unpack first love just a little bit today. Um, now that I've introduced you to the song and, the, and what should be the cry of our heart, Lord, kiss me with the kiss of your word because your love is better than wine. I would encourage you to make these uh, phrases of the song your prayer language. See what it does to your heart and your relationship with him. But I'm going to jump and, and expand through other scriptures you may already know and understand to, to lay a foundation for us of first love, starting in 1 John chapter 4. If you're following along, you can open up, but we have it all up here uh, on the projector as well. For in 1 John chapter 4, John, interestingly, 
John the Apostle, who wrote the Gospel of John and referred to him as the one that Jesus loved, <laughs> has a lot to say about uh, the love of God. The man who is confident in God's love, I think, is a good, good author to listen to when we want to learn that we are the beloved of God as well. But he says this in chapter 4, starting in verse 7, Dear friends, let us love one another. Why? For love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. Verse 9, this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. How many of you are glad he sent the son? This is love. Verse 10, check this. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us. He loved us. First, press tense, <laughs> he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Amen? That's the gospel, that you've already been loved. You're probably sitting here today because you came to faith in Jesus. Well, whether you know it or not, you came to faith in Jesus because God chose to love you and reveal himself to you and to pay the price to bring you to himself. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us. Hallelujah. And why do we love him? Because we know that he loved us first. And, and when we truly know him, we will truly love him, not out of duty, not out of obligation, because we are, but because we are confident that we've been loved. I stand here today because I know I'm loved. That, that should be the, the confession of our heart, but it's also the ultimate transformation that the Holy Spirit can bring, is that we would know that we are loved, and because we're loved, we would love like him. But there's more. Verse 16 goes on to say this, and so we know and rely on the love God has for us. Did I not put this one in there? 1 John 4, verse 16, there we go. We know and rely on the love God has for us. Did you know that's your reality? To rely on his love? Not to hope for it, or wish that he loved you, you rely on the fact that he already has chosen to love you and you can't change his mind. We know and rely on the love God has for us because God is love. I feel like we heard that before. I'm going to keep reading. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us so that we'll have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus why? What did God, what did Father say over Jesus? This is my beloved son. Keep reading, verse 18. There's no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear, because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not paid perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. Again, I said we're going to look at these scriptures, maybe familiar to you, but you need to hear as a foundation of first love is his love. First love is him. It's him. It's him. It's his nature. It's who he is. As I said, in the beginning was God and in him was love. And that's why we breathe today. 
All that he's done, all that he ever is, all that he ever, ever will do is motivated by his love, and you are a product of his love. God demonstrates his own love for us in this. Romans 5, 8 says that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Do you get the picture over and over here that he loved us first? It wasn't when you got it right, when you knew who he was, when you came to your senses, he loved you. No, when you were deep in your sin and didn't care about God before you even had a breath, he chose to love you. And from the foundation of the world, Christ was given in love for you. He loves first. And the rest of our life then becomes our response to his great love. You have to know that you are never the initiator in this thing. You never get to take credit. You didn't find Jesus. I know there are songs about that. I get it. And that's our perspective. We feel like, oh, one day I woke up and there was Jesus. Well, it's because he loved you first. He pursued you. He revealed himself to you. He worked in your life. He worked around you. Maybe he did a miracle. Or someone told you about the gospel. And, and at that moment, you thought you found Jesus. But he was chasing you down in love the whole time, and you responded because he was loving you first. Now, don't get me wrong. Our love for God, our response to God is powerful, and it matters, and it's real. But the reason that we want to understand that he is always first love, that he found us, we didn't find him, that we're responding to him, he's not responding to our initiation, is because at the end of the day, though your love for God is real and powerful and it matters and it moves his heart, your love for God, it will never be what sustains you. It will never be your love for God that empowers you to live holy, to shine the light of Jesus. Uh, it will never be a work that you can do that pleases him. That's not what your love will ever be. It is his love that will sustain you and empower you to live for him. That's it. It's the gas in the tank. It's the fuel for the journey. To know the great, 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 great love of God. Amen? And that's why the declaration and our experience, if it's not our experience, our declaration and our prayer is, Lord, kiss me with the kisses of your word. Your word is better. Your love is better than wine of this world. Your love is better than everything I've tasted and everything I've seen, everything I've experienced can't compare to you, even if I haven't experienced it yet, it's still the truth. Even if it hasn't touched my heart that deeply yet, it's the truth. And that's why we cry out. Because it is, there is no greater desire in his heart, his mind, and his life than making you confident that he loved you first. Than fueling your life, your love, and your passion with his own passion. This is our confession of truth, that God's love supersedes the pleasures of this world. And it is the cry of our heart because we were made for him. Every time we find ourselves running after lesser things, we should pause and, and, and refocus and say, you know what I really am longing for is him. What I really need is him. Not another relationship, not more money in my bank account. Are those things wrong? No. But when we think they will fulfill us, do you know what they become? 
idols. And we bow down to them. You, don't, you may not literally bow down, but you're bowing your heart to them. You're going to fulfill me. You're going to satisfy me. First love has to be in first place. This is our absolute. This is our, this is our, our true north. Again, worldly pleasures are not always sinful. They are if they're outside of God's design. But God created pleasure. It's the idolization of pleasure in our culture that causes us to try and remove God. That's the greatest deception. Every pleasure this life has to offer, if you take God out of it, will never satisfy you. This is the truth. But we actually need the help of the Holy Spirit to experience it. We cannot on our own. Um, we can't grasp fully the love of God. We can't comprehend it with our, our natural mind because it's supernatural. And sometimes it just takes time in coming before him and saying, Lord, show me. Touch my heart with it. Kiss me. Even as I prayed today was out of Ephesians chapter 3, a prayer that Paul scribed for the church in Ephesus, interestingly, the church that Jesus later rebuked. But saying this, this prayer, Ephesians 3, in the middle of 17, it says, I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, would have power together with all the Lord's people to grasp. We have to have power from God to grasp how wide, how long, how high, and how deep is the love of Christ. We need power from God verse 19, to know the love that surpasses knowledge. That you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Doesn't that sound like the ultimate of satisfaction? We need the Holy Spirit to help us take hold of the reality of God's love that we would be filled to the measure of all his fullness. We are dependent on him. But I tell you, you don't have to talk him into it. You don't have to twist his arm. You just enter into a face saying, Lord, help. Lord, show me. He's like, I want to show you. I've been waiting to show you. I've been waiting to empower you in this way. You know what happens, though, when we don't ask, when we don't seek, when we lose sight of how God has loved him, we draw back. We draw back from loving him wholeheartedly. When we fail to see the greatness of his love, we will compromise in sin. Because we're looking to fill, we're looking to satisfy, we entertain mixture, we seek our own desires, uh, even good and godly desires. We draw back and, and, and know it, understand it, call it out. When you find yourself drawing back from him, when faith seems to wane in your heart, when you find yourself chasing after lesser things, pause again. Why? I've lost sight of the great love God has for me. I've, I've, I've made his love small in my eyes. Or my experience of, of God's love has been small, so I'm seeking things that seem bigger. That's your moment. Lord, kiss me with your word. Touch my heart with the affection of your heart. I've seen many people 
of all ages wrestle. You know, they're being touched with some of the reality of God's love, but to think that I have to let go of everything else is really scary. You know, it feels unsafe. You know, I have things in my life that I understand, that I know, that I've come to count on. I don't know if I can really trust God's love to be enough. And so they draw back, they sidestep. They don't give up on faith. They still want Jesus, but they sidestep and and downshift into compromise, and they are still unsatisfied. But I want to tell you, there is a satisfaction in God where he truly satisfies, and I want to make a bold, bold statement, Uh, and I'll qualify it, but this is true. There's a satisfaction in God where you truly don't need anything else. You don't need anything else. You don't need another vacation, another promotion, another relationship, you're a single person. You don't need to get married. I'm not saying any of the things that was bad, but there's a place of satisfaction in God where you find that you don't need anything else because you found the satisfaction in God. And I will say I have tasted that in my own life. I won't say I'm perfected, and I, I know these things because I've experienced them in my own heart, the sidestep, the scary, the I'm idolizing this idea or that idea or this thing. And why is it? It's because I've lost sight of the great love of God. But I would say there are probably some in this room who maybe for a moment or even for a season have tasted that. You tasted the satisfaction of the love of God, even just for a moment, and you, you thought in your heart of hearts, in your mind, I actually don't need anything or anyone else. Who would say you've tasted that once or twice in your life? At least, look around. Okay, put your hands down. For those of you that haven't, that's a testimony to you, that this is real, that the Holy Spirit wants to bring you into that place. He's bringing all of us into that place, that it's not just a one-time taste, but a, a reality we walk in day and night and night and day until we see him in glory. Because you know what? It won't be a journey. It won't be a wrestle. When we see him forever in glory, we'll be living in it. But the journey of love and the offering of love we give today is to seek after it, to ask him for it. Say, God, you loved me first. Touch my heart with that reality. You've loved me bigger and better than I've ever seen. Open my eyes. Holy Spirit, give me power to grasp the ungraspable, to know the unknowable in you. You know why that prayer is in the word of God is because it's like an open door. God's saying, would you just please, please knock on this one? <laughs> knock at the door. I have so, I'm going to just wait because I'm going to pour it out. You, you knock on that door one time, I'm going to bust open this reality from heaven on your life. Holy Spirit, come. You don't have to make yourself good enough to earn it. It's already real. He's, he's seen the real you before you saw the real you. And he said you were worth it. He loved you then. I'm drawing this to a conclusion. God's heart is for you to be able to confidently wake up tomorrow and the next day and the next day and the next day. And if someone were to ask you that question, you would confidently raise your hand. 
I know that I don't need anything else. Here's the good news, though. God doesn't just give you him. He gives you every other blessing he has. But every other blessing will not satisfy if you don't get him. Let's make him our greatest priority. Let's ask him to touch our hearts in a way that he will satisfy. And so every other blessing becomes a gift that we get to give away. Because the natural outflow of experiencing, knowing, walking in the great love of God is we're going to love him and then we're going to love our neighbor. And in this world, we're going to look a lot like Jesus. And in a generation that seems to be the most emotionally wounded, the most fatherless, the most sexually broken, wouldn't it be amazing if there are people who carried this reality like a healing balm, who carried this message like a trumpet call, I know what you're longing for. It's him. I know what you need. It's him. But you don't know my story. I know what you need. It's him. Let's stand together and let's respond. Justin, if you could come. Let me reassure you, believer, maybe you've been walking with Jesus or in faith in some way for years, for decades even. Or maybe you're brand new, really new, to walk with the Lord. Maybe you're just coming around to refreshing your relationship with Jesus in one way or another. Let me tell you the truth about all of us. We all fall short in loving God, but He loves us first. The great glory of the gospel is whatever the gap is today between our love and his love, he makes up the difference. He will always make up the difference. He will always fill the gap and he will always come to us. He will always draw us to yourself. So let's think less about how much we fall short and think more about how great he is to come to us how great he is to love us, how great is his love for us when we wanted it and when we don't want it, when we deserved it, when we don't deserve it. Nothing can change his great love. Let's come before him in prayer. God, we thank you for loving us first. We thank you that there's nothing greater than your love, nothing more satisfying Your love is better than wine. Your love is better than every other pleasure. You are the one thing that will ever truly satisfy a human soul. Thank you for loving us first. So we're here in this moment of prayer. I just want to make space for you and ask the question, have you responded to his love to the gospel the good news that he loved you first maybe there's someone in the room that you have heard maybe you believe but you've never really responded to his great love in which he loved you first and i want to give you a chance to say yes to the one who loved you today to respond and return to the one who loves you if that's you in the room you just like to respond, maybe for the first time, to his love. Would you just raise your hand where you are? 
Amen. Well, are you then, I want to ask another question. Have you been in this place of believing, but finding it hard to let go of the things that are familiar? Hard to truly believe that he could satisfy, where the things of this world have been drawing you away from him, drawing you away from the greatness of, your love, of his love. And as I was talking about that, you're like, I know that story. I wonder if today you would let go. You would fully surrender those things, even those good and godly desires that are in your heart. Would you let go and trust today that his love is enough? If you sense the Lord touching your heart in that way, and you want to just respond before him, we're not calling you forward or pointing you out. Would you just raise your hand where you are? Mm-hmm. Put them down. Now, everyone, put your hand in your heart. I want you to pray this with me. Jesus, you love me first. And I want to love you first. Would you realign my heart to know you, to love you, First, would your love for me fill my heart, overflow from my heart, transform my life in Jesus' name. Now just put your hands out before you, and we're going to wrap with a song after this. Holy Spirit, we need your power to grasp the greatness of the love of God. We ask that you grant us power together with all our brothers, sisters, brothers and sisters in this room to know what is the width of your love, what is the length of your love, how high does it go, and how deep does it run. Would you give us a spirit of wisdom and revelation to know, to experience, to encounter what our natural minds cannot even comprehend? Would you take us on a journey on the wild, vast, incomprehensible love of God for all of our days? May we be truly, truly lovesick in you and for you all of our days. Would you make us even a sign and a wonder, a healing balm for a broken generation, God? The way we'd confidently know, I am loved by God. And we could look to those in the world and say, I know the one you need. God, would you do this work in us, Holy Spirit? Take us on the journey, God, yes, in this series, but God, even in the coming days and until we see you face to face, the journey of knowing your love, and the journey of loving you back. Oh.